For all of you that don't know, Fred is the one that encouraged me to, to start wearing tennis shoes after I became pastor. I bought some shiny shoes one day, and I thought I need to look a little more pastoral. He came up and he said, I don't like your shoes. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, that doesn't look like you. What do you mean it doesn't? He said, you used to wear, you know, tennis shoes and high tops. Said, yeah. He said, why don't you wear those anymore? Said, I don't know. I guess I can. <laughs> so I started wearing high tops again. So I'm not trying to be a cool, hip pastor. I really like tennis shoes. I've always worn, <laughs> I've always worn <laughs> high tops, and this is just me. So here I am. All right. We're going to continue talking about the heart. I didn't finish last week's uh, sermon, so I didn't feel like going back into the second half of that, and I had something fresh to talk about today. And I've done some more research, which is interesting. I say interesting a lot, which is interesting because, um, you know what? i got to take a break. I need you all to pray with me for my youngest daughter. My Tracy is with Trinity, my oldest daughter, at a volleyball tournament this morning. And Jordan woke up at like 1 o'clock in the morning with a bloody nose, and she gets nosebleeds every once in a while. And... Uh, Tracy just texted me right before service and asked if we pray for her that it started bleeding over there and she's just scared. So no, we're not, and Melissa taught me this when one of my kids' wrist was hurting one day and I just kind of blew it off. I was like, are you bleeding? You'll live. You know what I mean? I'm just regular dad stuff. And Melissa had a word for somebody that had a wrist hurt and it was for my daughter and came and prayed for her and that meant the world to her. And so I don't take these little things for granted. So I want to, I just want to pray for my daughter. Can y'all join me for praying for her bloody nose? All right. Father, I just thank you for Jordan and, and, um, just the, the joy that she carries, and um, I just pray right now that, that whatever's going on with her nose that's making it bleed, Father, that you would fix it in her, and that you would take whatever fear she has away, um, and that you would just fill it with, with joy, and that she could run around that, that volleyball tournament place and just have fun and not worry about that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's funny how... <clears throat> This isn't part of my sermon, but I just thought about this when I was praying. It's funny how especially kids pick up on the things that we say, right? And, and they've heard even most recently about different diseases and cancer and different things like that. And that little bit of fear, now every time they get sick, not every time, but a lot of times they'll come and ask me, Daddy, am I going to die? And that little bit of, that little bit of fear that they, that they hear, and it's, it's good that they ask and we can talk about it, um, but I don't want them to grow up being afraid all the time. And so every time we do that, we pray for them and take that, you know, Lord does not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and a sound mind. And I don't want them to stress out about that stuff because I really do believe God's above it. So I just want to encourage you. That was a side note, but I don't know. I'd be careful planting some of those seeds and any kind of fear in your kids for that kind of stuff. It's good to be educated, but at the same time, we, we, we serve a different kingdom. I'll leave it at that. All right. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, the 23andMe commercials, I think is what it's called, the DNA testing. Have y'all seen that? I lost my cat. And I was thinking about this morning as I was talking about the heart and looking up, uh, looking up different things. Uh, well, actually, it was last week and, and into Wednesday we talked a little bit about it. And then um, even this morning I was looking up some more stuff about the heart. I just, my ADD kicks in when I see something. I just go after it. I can't stop. <laughs> So I just started studying the human heart and all these different things and all these different phys- or physical studies of the human heart. And it's cool because none of them are, they're not super spiritual, they're not Christian articles, they're just medical articles. And I pulled a couple highlights from one. Um, here it is. And uh, when, I, when I talked about the heart, probably, it's been over a year ago probably, when we were talking about the heart and the inside-out thing, I used the analogy of the heart pumping blood and oxygen to all of our bodies and all of our members and then pumping oxygen and supplying it to our brain. And that works and it makes sense. But I didn't realize that it went even deeper than that. 
And, and the point that I was trying to get to was the emphasis that the Bible places on the heart, that God gives us a new heart. And from that place is where we, we draw from, that it's not the brain is the logic and the heart is the emotions like I was taught growing up. And it's not even that they're, that they're necessarily battling each other or anything like that, but it's that the Bible puts the heart as the core of the person, the source of what we have. And so when I started thinking about that, I started reading about the heart. Well, I, I read some even more recent studies and this is a couple I pulled away from that I really liked, and it said, uh, most, of us, most of us have been taught in school that the heart is constantly responding to orders sent by the brain in the form of neural signals. However, it is not as commonly known that the heart actually sends more signals to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. Think about that for a minute. So your heart's actually sending signals from, from your heart to your brain. Moreover, these heart signals have a significant effect on brain function, influencing emotional processing as well as higher cognitive faculties such as attention, perception, memory, and problem solving. In other words, not only does the heart respond to the brain, but the brain continuously responds to the heart. That's crazy to me. I never, I never knew any of this. And like I said, this isn't, this isn't a Christian study. This was a group of doctors that did a study on this. And they go on to say, scientists have discovered that the heart possesses its own intrinsic nervous system, a network of nerves so functionally sophisticated as to earn the description of a heart brain containing over 40,000 neurons, this little brain gives the heart the ability to independently sense, process information, make decisions, and even demonstrate a type of learning and memory. In essence, it appears that the heart is truly an intelligent system. Now, this is science backing up scripture. That's what's happening right here. The Bible constantly putting emphasis on the heart. Now, it does talk about our minds and renewing our minds, but it constantly focuses on the heart being the, the core and the center of who we are. Now, when the Bible tells us he takes out a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, he gives us his heart, we have to, there, there, there are things we have to deal with when we say that. And one of the first things we have to deal with is, are we righteous now? Are we holy now that we have a new heart? Are we? Okay. What's, what's the next question that would come after we say that? What, what, what is the next question you would say? Okay, I believe, let's just, let's just say, I believe that I am holy, that, my, that Christ has given me a brand new heart, and now I am righteous and holy. What's the next question we ask? I mean, I ask it too, so anybody? How do I keep it? That's, that's one. What do I do now? Yeah. Come on, this is, a, this is a big one. This is an easy one. Do what? Can I do, can I do anything I want? What about sin? That's, that's the one that a lot of people will default to, and it's, it's one of the questions. I thought, well, what about sin? Why are we still tempted to sin? Or where, where does, how does sin fit in that? If I'm holy, how does sin fit in that, right? This, this, is, the, this is one of the questions. All the, all the other questions are really good questions. Hopefully, we'll talk about all of them. Constantly being tempted, right? Yeah. So if, if let's just say hypothetically, we won't even nail it down yet, if our heart is holy and we're still tempted by sin, let's look at the, the way that it was traditionally taught to me was that we were positionally righteous, but we wouldn't really see that until we died and went to heaven. So positionally we were righteous, but we still, had, we still struggled with, with whether we were truly righteous or not as though, I guess, as though God gave us part of a, or a holy heart that depended. Okay, here's how it was put. Uh, you, God comes this far, you come this far, and you meet in the middle. Have you all ever heard that kind of thing? The problem with that is that's dependent on us. <laughs> and there was no way that I could ever get to this place without him. 
So that, that creates a problem in my theology. <laughs> that creates an issue with me. Because everything that we do, we have to take all the way to its end. So if I've got to meet him, then it's going to require much, in, in my opinion, would even require much more of me if it was on my merit. So if we see that Christ is in us now, it should change our position, our perspective on everything right now, not just when we die and go to heaven. This is the whole thing about the kingdom of God being placed in our hearts like a seed. If we understand that heaven is not, and Jesus constantly told them that, you're missing it, that's not what heaven's like. This is what heaven's like. It's not just a place that's far away. Heaven is an atmosphere. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the reality that we can walk in now because eternal life doesn't start just when you die. By definition, it starts now. So if we know that we're righteous now, that should change the way we see everything. So the, the only concrete reason I can think of why we would sin or be tempted by sin is our mind, is our old mindset, thinking about our old life and the way that we used to th- see things, coming from different sources, right? When I, before I knew Christ, I, I was you know, in the world, I guess you could say, or lost for 20 years. I didn't get saved until I was 20. I was born again when I was 20 years old. In all of those years, I sought out all different kinds of sources. I sought out anything that I could find that would either make me happy or satisfy me in some way or another. Does that seem pretty logical? Did we all have that at some, some point or another? None of those things fully satisfied me. I looked for them. I tried them, many of them. None of them worked out. When I found the source, it changed my perspective about everything. It, the, the thing that I've kept is there's still 20 years of messed up theology, messed up thinking, right? That's still in my memory. I still remember that. So there's still a, a way that my brain and my mind can begin to think about some of those things as though they could actually satisfy me even though they don't. Now, just because my heart is holy and righteous now doesn't mean that my mind can't be tricked, right? We've talked about movies before. You can get scared watching a movie, but if you pan away and you see the boom mic and the directors, you're not scared anymore. There's a, there's a difference in perception now. There's a difference in perception of who we are and who we belong to and who our Father is. So our new heart, our, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, this brand new heart that God gives us, declares that you're dead to sin and alive to God. That's the reality of who you are. The Holy Spirit is, is there to continually convince us of righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever of what? Unbelief. Because the only way to God is through Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is, is almost nagging us <laughs> to our righteousness all the time. What's the most difficult thing for us to believe? For me, it is that I'm righteous now, even in the flesh now. That's the thing I need convincing of. Thinking that I'm bad or that I, that I have uh, sinful thoughts, I don't need convincing of that, right? I, I don't need anybody to convince me that that still happens. What do I need convincing of? That I'm righteous. I need, I need something greater than me to continually remind me of how righteous and holy I am. It's the only way that I'll see things, from the correct pers- see things from the correct perspective. Because if it's only dependent on me, I'd be just like a Gnostic or I'd be just like a, uh, any kind of intelligent person that can, that can follow a, a teaching system, right? Like, a, like a, a religion or something that can, that can follow all the rules and build up enough merit to, I guess, win some kind of earthly prize. I don't know. So we'll start, we'll start in Matthew 5.20. This is Jesus speaking. It says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So if your righteousness is dependent on your performance and not Jesus, you might as well quit. That's basically what he's saying. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees 
and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This whole 23 and me thing got me thinking this morning too. I don't think it's a bad thing. If you want to do it, that's fine. You send your, you spit or whatever, you send your saliva off. <laughs> uh, and they test it and they check your DNA and then they find your history and it helps you with medical history so you can determine, you know, uh, what kind of medical history maybe your ancestors had and it tells you, you know, your, I guess your um, cultural backgrounds and different things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do that, that's fine. I'm not saying it's bad. But on a spiritual sense, I love the fact, especially the songs that we sing, that we say, now God's blood runs through my veins. Because this is important that we realize if we are new creations and God is in us, I believe and I hope that you believe that you were created. If we're created, there is, there is something in us that is God. He is, he is in our DNA and his blood runs through our veins. There, is a, there, is, there, were, there are many lies that, that could say that I have to follow in my earthly father's footsteps. And statistically, that's usually the case. Usually the case is you have characteristics and different things in your DNA that, that come from that. But if this is real, and I believe it's real, if God took that old heart out and gave me a brand new heart, I have brand new blood. <laughs> I have, I have a, a brand new system running within me that even science says has its own little brain firing system. That's why we can be brain dead and our heart still pumps. You can't just think heart stop and your heart stops. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why I think that, that God says he gives us a new heart. He doesn't say I gave you a new mind. He says renew your mind. What do we renew our mind to? Not the microphone, the new heart. <laughs> We renew our mind to what's been given us for free. So he's taken out this old heart. He didn't take out all the thoughts. It's like we talk about hardware and software. This is the hardware in the computer. You open it up and it needs to be updated constantly. Our, our software needs to be updated constantly. To what? What does it need to be updated to? To just learning and understanding? Those are good things, and we'll get to that in a minute. No, to the reality that you're righteous right now. That's what we need to be reminded of. Let's, let's ask another question. If you think, if you think, and we won't, we won't go all the way back because we've talked about it before, if you think that your heart is deceitful and wicked, how, does that, how would that make you act? If you think that your heart is deceitful and wicked, how will that, how will that change the way you function and, and work and talk to people? Does that change anything? You feel guilty. What, what would be the result of that? How, how would we, how do we talk to people and act and react? How would we pray? I, I think we'd be insecure. Because at any moment, this is the thing that, that I always heard, you know, the Holy Spirit won't dwell in an unclean temple, so better keep it clean, right? <laughs> Good luck with that. How, how miserable an existence if that's really what we believe theologically? Think about if my kids, if, if their room wasn't perfect all the time and they thought at any moment if they misplaced something, I would kick them out or I would bail on them. Let that sink in. Imagine that type of father. Do you think that God's that type of father? I don't think that he's that type of father. I believe he says that because the Holy Spirit dwells, he doesn't dwell in an unclean temple. We're the temple. The only way they can make it clean is through Jesus, which gave us a brand new heart. So now we're clean and he can dwell in us. Done. He didn't say it's kind of finished. He says, finished, done deal. So in your heart, that is done. It's finished. 
So from that place, how, now that, how is that going to change the way that you pray and the way that you talk to other people? Does, does that, do you think that's going to have a positive effect on your life? Do you think that it would have a more positive effect than if you thought that God uh, was just waiting for an opportunity to run out on you? I believe it does. And I believe that the way that I was taught for years was that uh, he's, just, he's waiting. He's anticipating you to screw up so that he can smite you. No hope. He's saying right there, unless, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Good luck, guys. I mean, really, if, if Jesus didn't fully complete this and fully give us his, his divine nature, which we'll get to in a minute, if he did not, then we are hopeless. We're all going to burn. Why, let's just leave now. <laughs> just lock the doors up. If, they, if, they're, if, if, our, if we're not confident, here's another thing. If we're not confident in what we have, we've talked about it, you have to have $10,000 to give away $10,000. If you're not confident in what you have, how is that going to affect the way that you share that with other people? You're not going to share it. I'm not going to offer somebody that I, I'm not going to offer somebody a relationship that I think is on the teetering point of falling apart at any moment. I mean, that's not a wise, I don't think that's a wise thing to tell anybody. I, I posted something on Facebook about it. When I grew up, all of the people that went to church that I saw looked angry and miserable and frustrated. And I never at, at any point in my childhood did I think, man, I want what they have. <laughs> I'm seriously, I'm not saying people don't struggle with things or have, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying 99.9% of the adults that I saw looked miserable. And even when they would take me to church, <laughs> it wasn't much different. When I left, I felt miserable. <laughs> I was like, man, I, I feel worse now <laughs> than I did before. And for some reason, we embrace that and go, man, that's good. I need you to step on my toes some more. Really? I don't. I need, I need, I need real. <laughs> I talked to a friend of mine who's a pastor, and, and, and I, I talk about him a lot. I don't know if you listen to my podcast. He's probably thinking, I wish you'd stop talking about me. <laughs> I talk about him a lot, but it's good. We know each other. We love each other. He's the one that witnessed to me. I wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for him. He's the first one I actually saw the Holy Spirit, and I saw Jesus manifest through in a tangible way where he could love through situational things. You guys have heard it. We talk, and he says to me, man, he said, I really, I think the reason, he, and this is all the way from the beginning, he said, I think the reason that you can, that, that people, not to build myself up at all, but why people um, like to hear you speak is because you're relatable. And he said, but if I spoke the way that you speak in my church, it would be disrespectful and people would leave because of the culture that's been created in that church system, in that denomination. And that's sad. And I, don't, I, don't, and I hope you don't think I'm disrespectful because of the way that I speak and talk and, and sit down or, or whatever. Uh, we all grew up with different backgrounds, but I never that's never my intention. <laughs> and it's sad to me to think that people would think that if someone's just being real. And what's really cool about this is during a conversation, he realized, he said, you know what, I, I listened to your podcast and he said, I realize that I talk differently when I'm preaching than I do when I'm just talking to people. And I can remember that, man, when people, preachers get up, oh, they get riled up. Yeah. <laughs> is it, are we watching wrestling or are we preaching? 
And if you get excited, I get excited sometimes. See, I'm not saying it's all bad, but he recognized that there was something different about him when he was preaching than when he was talking to people in different environments. I think that's a good thing. I think it's healthy. We need to realize that I'm no different up here than I am down there. I hope you guys know that. I will, I'll, you can ask me anything you want, and I'll tell you with this microphone on being recorded as I will anywhere else. I have, I have absolutely nothing to hide. You, you're the, your people, listen to me. Your sphere of influence needs to see that in you too. They need to know that you struggle with things. They need to know that you don't have everything figured out. They don't need you to argue them into the kingdom. They need you to love them into the kingdom. They need, you, they need to see your... They need to see that genuine holy heart, that Holy Spirit that is convincing you of, of your righteousness to share with them the good news that they can be righteous 100% if they want to be. All they have to do is accept it. It's all conditional. Unconditional love is not common in most circles in, in the world because how would we get something? <laughs> You're going to be preaching a different sermon because it's not about getting things. <laughs> okay, I'll preach it. It's not about getting things. That's the thing. We've, we've created this, this, this consumer mindset for church and God that or really it's an old covenant mindset um, that says, if you will, then I, we think that God says, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. That's not what God says anymore. He said that in the old covenant. New covenant said, Jesus did everything, believe on him. It's not a, I do, you do, it's he did, now go share it. <laughs> he, he didn't just teach us unconditional love, he gave it to us. We didn't have it before he gave it to us. That's why he says, well, we don't, we don't even have the capacity to forgive people the way that he did. The only way that we can truly forgive people is if we receive that from him and then forgive them. Wow. Same way with my wife. Yeah, I can't, I can't treat my wife the way she deserves to be treated 20, all the time. I can't. I don't, have, I'm not, I don't have that capacity. But because of the Holy Spirit that's within me, I can draw from that, and now I can love her the way she deserves to be loved. Outside of she, she uh, offended me in some way. <laughs> she... I'm, I'm upset because of something that I didn't get from her uh, emotionally or relationally, so I'm going to treat her badly as a result of that. That's conditional love. Now, I can say, now, I think that. I do. I'm being real. I think that. Now, I need to withhold um, my love from her because I'm mad at her. And then I go and I pray, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you need to love her like I love you. And here's the cool thing. And then I do, and it's better. <laughs> I don't have to spend a week being mad and her being mad at me because she didn't even know why I'm mad at her. <laughs> right? Am I alone in this? Yeah. And then we spend a month mad at each other and she doesn't know why I'm mad at her, but I'm mad at her because she did something that offended me that she might not even know that she offended me. And so then I'm mad at her and she's mad at me because I'm mad at her. And she doesn't know why I'm mad at her. And I don't know why she's mad at me now. Let's just stay here. Let's just stay here. I want to stay here too long. We're going to talk about the solution. That's the problem. Now I can draw from where do I draw from? A distant God that's way up in heaven waiting for us to die to bless us? No. We sang this morning, he's walking with us. Lydia sang, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. If we're not confident in the source that we have, where are we going to draw from? Are we going to draw from our own, our own abilities? Because obviously those fail. Right here it says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So if we don't have, if we don't have something that's already, that has already gained us this access, then we are hopeless. 
Not just in our own relationship with the Father, but our relationship with other people. Why is that? Think about this for a minute. Because if you're, I'm going to have to get up. <laughs> because if, I'm going to change my voice. No. Because if, 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 listen to this, I close my eyes to concentrate. If, if you were looking at people as your source, oh, how can I word this? Okay, think about this. God, God never told us to, to, to graft ourselves into other people as sources. He told us to graft ourselves into him, to, to find and draw from him. We look at the genealogy thing, the 23andMe thing. I call this 23 and Jesus. It comes from the 23 chromosomes. I had to look up and figure out why it said 23. I was like, what's that got to do with Michael Jordan? So it said 23, <laughs> it said 23 and me, so it has something to do with 23 chromosomes and all that or whatever. And so I think if we look at this from that standpoint, if, if God re- truly created us in his image and not just, you know, he has a nose and ears, in his image, his ecclesia or his icon is the Greek, in his image, we carry his character now. How do we carry his character? Because I did this before with, when Tracy was here. I don't have my lovely assistant. But if I dropped a book somewhere, if it was sitting here, if I dropped my Bible down here and she picked it up and put it here, that would not be restoring it to where it was, would it? If we fell from the, if, if our fall was in the garden and Jesus fixed that, where do we end back up? Back in the garden. Charles told me that this morning. It was a word he got from the Holy Spirit. He came up and told me about the garden. If if Jesus really did what he said he did, and I believe he did, he restored our relationship with the Father, and that's the goal for the Christian, not going to heaven when you die. That's a byproduct of the kingdom. The goal, the goal for the Christian is to have restored relationship with the Father, and Jesus did that for us. Now, now that that's done, our only purpose is to share that truth with everybody else. It's R&D, receive and distribute. If you start naming and claiming, we're going to have to have a conference, and then we're going to talk about that, because that's all about you. You want to name and claim something? <laughs> I'll, I digress. All right. Don't get, me, don't get me going. I'll be ridiculous. All right. If we say that Jesus did what we couldn't do, um, and this goes back to, to, to what you were saying too, so if we say that he did what we couldn't do, so we try to live like he did back then, then we're banking on a historical teacher who lived well and did some great things 33 years that we'll try to imitate. Let me slow that down a little bit. If we, if we just try to imitate Christ, that's what religion does. If we just try to be like him without him, we're powerless and we're pointless and you will be miserable. This doesn't work without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work without the new heart. This is why people can say, oh, when, I'm, when I get married, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and all of us married people go, <laughs> you don't know. You have no idea what you're talking about. When I have kids, they're going to do this, and they're not going to make a mess, and they're going to, you know what I mean? <laughs> They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. <laughs> cute. That's cute. That's just sweet. You have no idea. Why? Because you haven't experienced it. That's why God says they can't see, they can't hear, because you have to experience it. It's not something that can just be learned. That's why the Gnostics were close, but they weren't there. <laughs> they didn't get it. That's why even people now, even churches and Christians and pastors and people can get so far off on what they can call theology that they, that they miss the whole point because they're just trying to learn new things. You can, you can look at Buddha or Muhammad. You can look at all these things, and these are great teachers, and they may have some good points, and you can say Jesus was a good moral teacher, but I love how C.S. Lewis says, that's dumb. Why would you say that? Either you, you can't say Jesus was a good moral teacher and he wasn't the son of God and didn't carry supernatural power to, to do what he did. He said, C.S. Lewis said it would be like saying... Uh, 
he's like a poached, like calling a man a poached egg. Like, you'd be insane. That doesn't make any sense. A good moral teacher doesn't blatantly lie about all the miracles that he can do and that he's going to raise from the dead. It's either one or the other. <laughs> so we can't mimic a historical Jesus. We have to embrace a living Christ now. There's a big difference in that. Huge difference. We mess it up. We're people. I, I mean, I really think... And, and here's the thing. I'm guilty of it too. And many of us in here, we had to learn. And, he, and here's, a, here's a, 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 a... To that point... We need to be patient with people that haven't quite got this revelation yet. Don't just, don't just call, call religious people out all the time and just treat them like dirt. That's not right. We, God loves them too. <laughs> We're not trying to just bash people for that. But I don't know how we got I mean, we just, we just got messed up. I think it's because... Now, I can't say... Hang on, you're making me think on the spot here. It's good. It's not bad. I think if you say... It can't be cultural because everybody is. So it's not something necessarily... You really have to take it back to the Catholic Church. When Catholicism came in, you tried to identify Christ as a priest. So something that was tangible, so you gave your confessions to the priest versus to God. They short-circuited your ability to have a relationship with the Father and you need to have a relationship with the priest. And that's what created the first Reformation. It broke from that papal Christianity and changing that view. You can't have a relationship with and that's good. That was probably the first the, the first pace setter for that. And many people were chased down and murdered to reveal the truth that we had access to the Father outside of just going to the priest. So that's true. Yeah. Well, not and not and not just comfortable. And I don't want to butcher this, but I, I know the the Roman Catholic Church, the Romans just kind of merged Christianity with what they, they just figured, well, this is going to work. We'll just mix them together. And that's what they did. But the, the, the main issue was it was all about control and power. And I think once that, and, and it's the same thing we struggle with today with people in leadership, is if they get this idea that they can have control of people and, and have power, then that becomes their God. And so I think that's the nail on the head because... When we preach freedom here, that threatens anybody that seeks to control or manipulate people. Anytime I speak of freedom, the, any kickback that I get is usually from, from people that I know have issues with control and seek to try to, even with good intentions, try to control people and make sure they behave correctly. Yeah. I think that's true, and it's a... I think even that comes from a, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit leading us to do things that at first, at first we think are unnatural, but they begin to fit much better when, when we begin to operate in them. Because the whole thing, that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. So we don't... It's not that we're stepping out of our comfort zones, like many say. We're actually stepping into how we were designed to be. And so what I've found is it's like these gears are spinning... And you're not sure if they go together, and there may be a little grinding in the beginning, but when they click, man, things begin to really work. And I've seen it in my life. When I begin to genuinely shut up and listen to the Holy Spirit, He is so good at just speaking exactly what needs to be said and for me to be able to say those things to people that are outside of my own ability to teach people. Does that make sense? So anyway, that's, that's all good. Man, this is, that's a good Wednesday night discussion. I can't... We're already over a little bit, and I, I want to kind of wrap up a little bit. But that's, I want to talk about that more. But come back Wednesday. And Sunday. I'll be here every Sunday.
or we'll hopefully we'll all be here. All right. Um, let's see how I can get to the end quickly. Maybe let's see. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Golly. All right, I'll have to do that differently. We'll stop. I'm, I'm, I want to give this real quick example. You guys know my friend Dana. Uh, many of you know Dana. His, uh, I mess with him because it sounds like a girl's name. So he's, he's, uh, he's over the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, and that's one of the ministries we connected with, and we, we go feed them once a month, feed the house families, and just minister to the kids that are there. It's a great ministry. We didn't need to reinvent the wheel. They're already doing something great, so we just want to support them. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> we donate money to the children's home, and sometimes we get a letter. And so I emailed a letter back <laughs> one time. I don't know if I've told you this story. I emailed a letter back, and, I, and me and Dana are really good friends, so bear with me on this. And uh, I always mess with him about him having a girl's name. So I sent back, I was like, Dana was such a sweet lady, and da 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 and I just went on this long, drawn-out thing, and it made it all the way to Birmingham, and then back to him, and then he sent me a text message with it on there. I was like, yes, <laughs> got him. That was too funny. I like those, those real long jokes that just make its way around. And she thought it was funny. She thought that I didn't know who he was. Anyway, but anyway, he, was, he made a post a long time ago, several years ago on, on Facebook about someone asked him, because I have three girls, and he has four girls, and uh, someone asked him, do you ever feel outnumbered? And he was like, no, they're all on my side. <laughs> Why would I feel out? As if they're our enemy, right? That's the way people treat it. And I thought about that this morning because that's the way we treat the Holy Spirit sometimes. Oh, I don't want to submit to the Holy Spirit. He might, he might what? He's your friend. What's the Holy Spirit going to do that's not going to be good for you? When we talk about submitting, you're not submitting to the enemy, <laughs> right? He's not going to do anything that's, that's ill-fitting. The Bible says it's not. He won't put anything on you that, it's not heavy and ill-laden. He, his burden is light. He is, it, is, it is who you were created to be. The whole thing about, I kind of talk about being yourself. Be yourself, but realize who you really are. Align, align your mind with your heart. <laughs> align, align your thinking with, with God's reality. So we don't, we don't try to box in God. We submit to his truth and then accept it and live it out. So from that source is where where we draw. Man, I got so much more. We'll have to talk about it later. But stand up with me. I, I I want to kind of wrap up with this. When I love, I genuinely love coming to church, and I could I could sit up here probably another hour just talking. Um, but I know when I was down there and I would listen, my attention span was only so long, and my backside would get tired of sitting. So I, I want to take this with you. Hopefully you take more than this, but take this with you. When you leave this place, there isn't this, this um, magical presence of God that only rests here. This isn't the temple. You're the temple. And so the thing that, that I've got to convince myself all the time, and I hope that you can continue to renew your mind too, is that when you, when you leave this church building and you go out there, you are a holy temple and you are righteous, 100% righteous. From that place is where you draw for relationships for your patience, for, uh, listen, Holy Spirit's not going to give you anxiety and fear. Holy Spirit's not going to put anything on you ill-fitting. The heart that you have is only there to benefit you. The human heart pumps blood everywhere, all over your body. It pumps oxygen to the brain. They're even finding out medically it helps you make good decisions and give you more cognitive function. If it does it physically, I believe it does it spiritually as well. I believe the very core of who we are is in our hearts, 
and our minds need to be renewed to that constantly. Now, I don't have to tell you, you need to read your Bible 30 minutes or an hour today, or you need to pray 20 minutes a day. Now, from the Holy Spirit, you should want to do those things. If you don't, then you talk to the Holy Spirit about it. That's between you and Him, not me. Because if I sit here and tell you, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this, I'm implying that you don't want to do that already. I mean, wow. If we truly believe in who our Father is and this Holy Spirit that's within us, why would we not want to talk to Him and hang out with Him and pray with Him and read about Him? It's a very natural thing. Father, thank You for Your revelation, for Your truth, for Your Holy Spirit that leads us in everything we do in this church, Lord. For every person that comes in this place, Father, I just pray that You would just continue to manifest Your Holy Spirit in them. Lord, awaken our minds to the reality of our hearts that have accepted something pure and holy That's what we need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of um, what you've done for us, not that we should feel guilty and and try to repay you something, but so that we should share it with other people and enjoy this life that you've given us, this new life that you've given us, this new creation that we now um, can live out and be happy and have joy that's not uh, um, bound by our circumstances, it's not bound by the highs and lows, or or even our feelings sometimes, Father, but it's grounded and anchored in you and who you are and your truth and your life. In Jesus' name, amen.